Hey, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 8. And we're here really at the, at the focus of Mark's gospel account of the life of Christ, his eyewitness testimony. And uh, we're there at the end of Mark chapter 8, 31 to, uh, to 38. I'll read it all together. But really this morning, we'll be looking at the second half of this passage in detail. Mark 8.31 begins like this. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's the passage we're looking at this morning. And, you know, really, as we begin looking at that second half of this passage, the first half that we read, giving us the context, and we'll think about that shortly. But, you know, what's really... What's going on here? What's something that can help us to understand immediately what the Lord Jesus is doing? Well, you guys know in life, there's this common sense thing that if you're about to do something really important, you should know all the details. And especially if you're going to someone else to do something for you that's really important, you would hope that they would spell out for you everything this includes. I remember when I went for, uh, you know, a rhinoplasty, a little surgery on my nose, I had to be put under general anesthesia. Well, I was, I was talked through and, and they went through all the list and um, they told me all the possible complications that could come. There's some scary stuff. I mean, you think it's just a simple going to sleep a little bit, wake up and, and be all good. But, oh, yeah, there's a side effects, possibility, death. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they're spelling out everything because it's a pretty important thing when somebody's putting you in an anesthesia and doing a surgery on you. The doctors have this legal obligation to cover themselves by telling you this is what could possibly happen. Are you still okay to go on with this? And we know this likewise in areas of our lives with finances, with buying houses, all kinds of big things. You want to know all the details. In fact, we know if somebody is coming to you and they don't tell you all the details, it's probably not very trustworthy, is it? They've got some fine print, some ulterior motive, some hidden things that they don't want you to know. And really, you know, we're reminded of that proverb that evil has to disguise itself because if it presents itself as it really is, Nobody would, nobody would be tempted to take it. But evil has to put on, put on makeup and fool people so that people would accept it. So really what's going on here is that the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing Peter's rebuking him as he teaches them about his mission here, he rebukes him for setting his mind on the things of man and not on the things of God. And we see especially there, he rebukes Peter because you look there in verse 33, he turned and saw his disciples. 
And then he rebuked Peter, meaning he is concerned that his disciples don't, mis don't misunderstand like Peter was. And he called the whole crowd to him. He went out from his, you know, kind of a private setting with his disciples. He moved out to the whole crowd and calling them to him, he began to teach them what we're looking at this morning. So what's all of this happening is, is the Lord Jesus spelling out clearly what he is here to do and what we must respond to him with. What all of that includes, what is the nature of true faith and discipleship? He's spelling all of it out because he's not like those you know, those, those people who sell you a snakeskin, but they're hiding the fine details. He puts everything there plainly. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. He's spelling things out so that we know exactly what he is saying and what he is teaching to us, exactly what he's calling us to. So that's, that's the principle behind this passage. So really what I'm saying is I want to ask every one of you, let's pay attention to this passage because what the Lord Jesus says to the crowds if you ever read that in the gospel accounts, there's your signal that this is what everybody, every human being needs to pay attention to. Relevant for us too. We have to think carefully about what the Lord Jesus has to say. So there's that principle. Let's pray now and ask for the Lord's help as we think on this passage. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to come to your word. Lord, we confess to you, we're so easily distracted with the things of man, with the things of this earth, with the things that don't really matter in light of eternity. Lord, we need your help now to turn our attention, turn our hearts to think on the things of God, to think on what you have to say to us, what the Lord Jesus is teaching. Help every one of us now, Lord, to listen close to this word. And would you draw us close to yourself now by speaking to our hearts through this word of yours. Be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, that, that first part is the Lord teaching clearly what he's come to do. And he has come, he says, to go to the cross and to be raised from the dead. That is, without a doubt, the most important thing that we must understand about Jesus, that he came from heaven to die. And that is because it was necessary. That's the only way for us to be made right with God. That's the only way for us to have a restored relationship with God, the fountain of all life. That's put there very, very plainly. Jesus is not mincing words. But now, as he calls the crowds to him, he is making very clear what he is calling every human being to when he calls them to himself. He's making it very clear. And so this morning, as we look at verse 34 to 38, really, we're going to look at it and, and just, just consider what Jesus has to say. I've got nothing fancy, nothing creative. We're just looking at what plainly the Lord is telling us. And that's what we have to consider. And really, I think we can break it down to three points. What is the nature of what he's calling us to do? What's he already talking about? Number two, how comprehensive is this call? What, what, what does it involve? What's the range of it? And number three, what is, what are the consequences or the results of listening or rejecting such a call. The Lord Jesus says those three things very clearly. So we look at that first point. What exactly is he calling us to? Well, look, he's, verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said this, this is so plain. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, really, you can pick out there, what is Jesus calling us to? Elsewhere in the Bible, 
it says that we are called to trust in Christ, to believe in him, to receive him, to give ourselves over to him and to rely on him. And here the word is used also very commonly throughout the scriptures. We are called upon to follow him, to come after him. Now, I love that because right there, if you take the whole of the Bible, it tells you already just by the bare meaning of the words that faith in Christ could not possibly be what many people today think it means. When people today hear their word, believe on Christ, confess that you are trusting in him, they think it is merely something that you, oh, I agree. I, I agree that he's, he's the Lord and I need to trust him. I'll say it and I'll, I'll say a prayer or I'll say to people, I believe. And that's the end of it. It's like we saying, I believe that there's a country called America. There's no impact to you. There's nothing to do with your life. You just simply believe that this is a truth. Is that what the Bible says when we are called upon to believe in him? Well, no, because you see, the Bible gives us many different words to understand the same thing. And here, when the Lord says faith, he describes it in terms of coming after him. He describes it in terms of following him. So right there, we can understand what does following someone look like? Well, following means not only intellectual, this person is worthy of me following him. This person is worthy of my trust. He's not going to lead me off a cliff. It also involves the feet, doesn't it? It involves the action. It involves the choice. If he's going this way and you say, oh, I believe he's a trustworthy uh, guide and I'm going to follow him, but your feet goes this way, everybody can look at that comical situation and say, you're saying one thing, but your feet are pointed in the opposite direction. To follow is to not only with our mind, but with our lives to go behind, isn't it? Where the Lord goes, if we confess, we follow him then we go with him. We go on the way he goes. We go on the ways that he tells us. If you've ever gone to a dangerous place on earth, you need a guide, don't you? You go to the Amazon rainforest. Not that I've ever been, but I've watched, you know, those TV shows and, and those, uh, you know, documentaries. You need a guide because you don't know if you're going to step on this oddly cut a log. Oh, suddenly it's a poisonous spider. Good night to you. You need to trust this guide, not only mentally, but you need to put your foot exactly where they tell you. So right there in the first and foremost, what the Lord Jesus is calling all of mankind to is not merely this superficial word of I believe, this mental agreement that Jesus is wonderful and trustworthy. He is calling you to, with the whole of your life, turn yourself to following him, to doing what he says. In fact, when the Bible says, for example, in Romans 10, confessing with your heart, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Have you ever stopped to really think on what you are saying? When we say, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. Well, if that's the case, don't you understand? Necessarily then, you don't have another Lord. You've got a King, the Lord Jesus. How then can people confess, He is my Lord, and yet live their life as if they were their own Lords? If their parents were their lords or their job were their lords or the things of this world are the ones who command them what they do. And so the Lord Jesus teaches elsewhere, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve Jesus and self. You can only serve one. You either love one or hate the other, but you cannot have two masters. It's the very same principle, isn't it? 
It's so plain. This is the, the basics of what the Bible has to teach us. What we're trying to do is just draw it out to its proper conclusions. And in fact, here in the call to come after him and to follow him, Jesus especially presses sore on what we hold most dearly. He says, you must deny yourself and come after me. Why? Because the natural instinct of fallen man is to elevate self. That really is the definition of sin. To want to be autonomous apart from any other. You just look at the children in our church. So wonderful, so cute. But even with their parents who love them and care for them, they don't want to do what their parents tell them to do. It is the natural human instinct to want to be autonomous, to want to be like God. Well, that sounds exactly like what Adam and Eve were tempted with, wasn't it? If they eat this tree of wisdom, we can be like God. We don't have to listen to him. We don't have to listen to anybody. I can be my own Lord and no one can tell me what to do. Now, does that not sound like the gospel of today? You just look around New Zealand culture. You look around the things on the internet. What is the thrust and the message that you will be most satisfied, most complete as a human being if only you got to do everything you wanted to do? then you would be the happiest. That is the gospel of this world. To put self first and to deny everything else. Then and only then will you be most happy. And we are now at a stage in our development as a human race where with technology, even if your biological, uh, you know, your biological gender does not fit with your self-expression, what has to bend is your biological reality rather than your denying self. That is what we see all around the world. If you've ever wondered what's going on behind all of these movements, all of this backlash over things like abortion, it is all the desire to do what we want to do as human beings. I want to put myself first and everything else must come second, including God. Most definitely God, because if I am Lord, that's got to exclude other things having a claim over my life. Do you see that? That's the gospel of this world. And it has always been the gospel of this world. It's always been the gospel of the devil. It's always been the message. And ever since Adam and Eve, we've been believing it. We've been living according to it. There may be many of you now who are living that way, even as you come to church and profess Jesus as Lord. And yet your feet are pointing in the opposite direction. You need to see clearly the Lord Jesus says, True faith in him is denying self. He presses us at the sorest point. Oh, we would love to say to the Lord, I follow you. Look, I come to church. I do good things. And there's many things I do. I do say no to. That's a form of denying self. But the Lord Jesus, he elevates it by saying, if anyone will come after me, deny himself and take up his cross. He's not saying deny yourself on a part-time basis. When you take up the cross, you're not taking enough for exercise. In those days, you don't take up the cross to try and show everybody what a martyr you are. You take up the cross to be killed. You take up a cross to be executed in crucifixion. So when the Lord Jesus Christ says, deny yourself and take up the cross, he's saying, put yourself entirely to death. There is now no room for a second Lord if once you confess, I am your Lord. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying. So right there, the very first point that we're looking at, we have to ask ourselves, every one of us, don't we? If we are professing Christ is our Lord, 
to our feet agree with that confession? Is our life consistent with that truth? He is my Lord. Well then, is your greatest ambition in life to do what he tells you to do rather than following whatever you want to do yourself? Is your greatest desire, your greatest striving for to do the will of God your Father? Or is it really to just do enough to solve your guilty conscience, but really what your business is, is to do the will of yourself? You have to be honest with that question. Certainly God knows where you are, but you must know. Nothing more dangerous than a person who is adamant that he has no problems with alcohol or with gambling. When everybody around them can see their life is not right. We know there's nothing more dangerous than self-deception. Well, may the Lord help every one of you to think clearly. Where are you with regards to what the Lord Jesus says? You see how plain he is. Coming after him, following him. That is the nature of true faith and trust in him. And I think that's so consistent. That's just so consistent. If you say you have faith that this chair you're sitting on is not going to fall on you, then you'll sit down on it. If you have faith that the aircraft engineers, like we have Ranjit here, we hope that they're doing their work properly, so you get on the plane, well, you're putting your life in their hands. We know necessarily trust and faith has to involve consistency of action. If then you say you trust in Christ, is your life consistent with it? Is he your Lord or is he not? That is what the Lord Jesus brings to us. It must necessarily involve denying self and denying everything else in favor of him, in submission to him. That's number one, the nature of true faith, the nature of true discipleship. And secondly, then we're looking at, well, we kind of answered a little bit, but let's just expand it because the Lord Jesus makes a point of this. What is the scope and the range of such a call to following him? Can we make it a part-time thing? Well, we, we've already considered. No, because he says, take up your cross, but look further in this passage. He says there, this question, rhetorical. Uh, sorry, he says in verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it. It's so black and white. And what he means there is the person who so desperately want to save their life for themselves, they're clinging on to their self-autonomy. This is my life. I won't give it to any other. I can't cede control to you or to anybody else. He says, that's going to lead to you losing your life. But you see there, he says, then whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He's spelling out exactly what it means to take up the cross. It involves perhaps even to the giving up of your life for the Lord Jesus and for the gospel. That may be what he calls some people to. In fact, in this world, that is what many of our brothers and sisters are being called to, the giving up of their lives for the gospel's sake. But you see what Jesus is demanding there. This taking up your cross and denying yourself goes even to the, to the life. And what is more comprehensive to a human being but their life? We may all well say, take my position, take my relationship, but there's nothing more fundamental to me in my life. What is more basic and more core to my existence than my life? Well, the Lord Jesus demands even that. You can see there, I mean, the Lord, he's not asking for just part of you. He's not demanding only some of his disciples. He demands it all. And he will not have anything less. That's what he is calling us to. He is calling for every part of our hearts, every part of our lives given to him. And this extends also, you see there at the end in verse 38, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this generation, of him will the son of man be ashamed of. What's he saying there? 
This involves not just your private life, but your public life too. It involves you not being ashamed of being Christ and of his words that you believe in, even in this generation, which means how you relate with people in the world, the generation that you're living in. And that is a point that we must get across because again in our day, the message is you can believe whatever you want. Just keep it to yourself. Whatever you believe, that's fine, but just don't practice it in public, in your workplace or in your families. If they don't want you to do it, don't practice it outside your own bedroom. Well, is that giving the Lord everything? That is obviously just a part-time thing. But the Lord demands it all. He says, if you are ashamed of me and of my words in this generation, outside in the world, people will know you for being my disciples. You see, if you're ashamed of him there, then he will be ashamed of you when he comes with the angels. But what what he's saying there again is the comprehensive scope of it all. He's demanding all. I hope that point is made so clear here. Your private life and your public life, your everything, your Sundays and your Monday to Saturdays. But the Lord Jesus demands all. That's what it means again to follow him, to trust him, and to go after him. There again, at this point, we are, we are made to pause and to reflect. Is that where my heart is? And, you know, it could be that some of you have come across a watered-down version of what the Lord Jesus has to say. It's a very sad reality that in some churches, that is the only thing they say, that to believe in Jesus is merely saying things with your lips, but you can do whatever you want on Monday to Saturday. No, in fact, you can do whatever you want as soon as you leave church. We see the, well, we see the, uh, uh, the patheticness of such a call to discipleship that it involves but two hours for you on Sunday and everything else belongs to you. Of this week, of how many hours you only have to give God two hours and you're free. Really? Is that what we see here demanded by the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what we see him calling us to? Give to me your two hours on Sunday. No, that's not what we see. He demands it all. And we must reckon with that fact. He says anything less than that is not true discipleship. It is not faith in him. He must have everything. And we come to the third point that we have to consider. All throughout this passage, Jesus Christ is being very, very open with us all about the consequences of following or not following him. There he places it before us openly. Here's one road and here's another road. Now, and then he brings to us to motivate us and to help us to think about it. Where do these two roads lead us? Well, the road that takes up the cross, denies self, goes after Christ, He promises to us what you could never have gotten with all your wildest efforts or in all your greatest dreams. He says, the one who loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. Now, I love the way he puts it. There's a full stop there. Will save it, which means that's the end of the story. Your life coming after Christ is saved and there's nothing that amends it after that. There is no saved, oh, but but, but you, might, you might also lose it later on if you mess up. And we see a, a full stop after that sentence, don't we? The Lord says, when you come after me and even lose your life for my sake, what I will give to you is your life, full stop, for all eternity. That is the description of you, saved. And there is no altering that word. That is amazing. 
That's what he's saying to us. Lose your life for my sake. I'm not going to be in your debt. I will give to you a life for all eternity. Your life will be saved forever. That's what he says all throughout, isn't it? He says in verse 38, when the Lord Jesus comes in all his glory and we've not been ashamed of him. He says, I will not be ashamed of you. I will see you and I will bring you to God the Father and I will say, here is my sheep, here is my friend, here is my beloved one. There's no shame attached, really. And if you come to God and there's nothing to be ashamed of, then you will find really what he's saying, perfect acceptance with God forever. There's nothing that will separate you from God. There's nothing to bring us to shame and to hide away from God. Christ will deal with all of that because he has come to deal with all of that by going to the cross. But you see what he's saying to us. If you will lose your life for his sake, you will in the end save it. He is promising to us life itself, the very life that we so desperately need. He says he alone can give it. He is alone the one who can give it to you perfectly and most fully. But see again that cost. You may very well be, be forfeiting everything in this world your life even. In fact, he's asked this rhetorical question. Just help us to think. Verse 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? If we make it black and white, you know, you've got to make things simple just to see the contrast, just to highlight it. Here are the two things offered to you, which the devil on the other side is very happy to give. We see him tempting the Lord Jesus with us. Bow down to me and I will give you the whole world. That's what he says to the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 4 and in the other accounts. Bow down to me, the enemy says. I'll give you the world. You can have everything in this world, anything you want, all the money you can dream of, all the, all the pleasures of the flesh. I'll give it all to you. But I'm sorry, the only thing you will lose is your soul. You will lose eternal life. You'll never be with God. You'll be cut off from him for all eternity. But surely that's a small price to pay. And here the Lord Jesus says, what, he, what he's implying is, you may forfeit the whole world. He never promised us the things of this world. God has never promised us ease and comfort and wealth and health. But he says, you may lose everything in this world. But one thing I guarantee to you, you will never lose your soul. Because I will never lose you. You will never lose God. He will never lose you. Really, that's what he says. You're in my hands. Who's stronger than me as to force my hands open so that you would be lost? That's what the Lord Jesus puts. He puts the high contrast on so we can see where the two paths are leading to. Have the world, but forfeit your soul, or have your soul with God and forfeit the world. And that question can only be answered by you. I cannot come and force you to decide one way or another, but I can simply repeat to you what the Lord Jesus said. What profit is there for you to lose your soul and to gain this world? But for 80 years, 100, really? And for all eternity to not have God whom you were created for, the very source of life and joy? What can a man give in return for his soul? Right there, the Lord is bringing to us so plainly, think with reason. We're speaking now to reasonable creatures. We're reasonable, aren't we? You see, the problem with sin, the problem for all of us, just like Peter, is that we're blinded to the things of God and we think only with the things of man. Let me tell you clearly now, if you've ever tried to solve a problem and you've been thinking and thinking and you arrive at a solution and then suddenly someone tells you, 
Oh, you forgot to factor in this. You have to change your solution. Surely you must, because you forgot to factor in part of reality. Let me tell you a story I read in the news. This is somebody who went, you know, as, as young New Zealanders do, they go overseas and they have their overseas experience. Well, this particular person had a wonderful time in Europe, there for a year, had a job, and they found a girlfriend and they stayed and they settled there, there for 10 years. But then they thought, oh, but I miss my family in New Zealand. I'll come back and visit them. <clears throat> and they come back and they get to the airport. And what happens? They get arrested. <laughs> What's going on? Well, this guy, this poor guy, forgot to check his study link. He had student loans he didn't pay back. And this was all over the news with this guy. Because, you know, when you have student loans in New Zealand and you go overseas, you no longer have interest-free. You're going to start paying it back with interest. And this guy forgot all about it. You know, maybe that's pretty typical of New Zealand teenagers. They can forget about it. Having such a good time. I'll come back and visit family. Arrested at the airport. What is going on? Oh, you've had 10 years of student loan that you haven't serviced. And now you are not allowed to leave the country until you make it all back until you start paying it back and you say before a judge exactly how much you're paying back week by week. You see, with this guy, he had planned it all, except there was a limit to what he knew. He forgot about the student loan. And right there is an illustration. I'm sure many people chuckled when they saw it on the New Zealand Herald. But right there is an illustration that just because you were ignorant of some factor doesn't mean reality doesn't catch up with you in the end. You don't just, you know, make something disappear by not thinking about it and by forgetting it. That's not how reality works. And certainly what the Lord Jesus is saying, if you are now distracted only with the things of man, like Peter was, and you think only on the things of this world, of course then you will be so consumed with pursuit for the things of this world. Oh, I need to make more money. I need to make more romantic relationships. I need to focus more on my friendships and my family. I need to focus more on self-improvement and fitness. And all the while, you are forgetting something very, very important. What about your soul? What about your relationship to God? You're asking the wrong questions here. When you ask that question, how can I be truly happy and satisfied as a human being? You're forgetting the most important question. How can you be brought back to a right relationship with God who made you? You see, that's what the Lord Jesus is asking us in those questions. Remember that you are not to be distracted with the things of man, because then you're going to go right down to the way of death. And he tells us plainly the things of God. What can a man give for a soul? What profit is it to you? Tell me honestly. If you had everything you dreamed of in this world, but you had not God, and you had not eternal life with him. All of that just fades away in a wisp. But right here is the plain teachings of Christ. I cannot force you, but it is presented to you plainly this morning. It is up to you now in your, in your life and in your heart. Where are you with Christ? Will you turn to him? The only thing I can do is plead with you. Think carefully on the scales here. Listen carefully to what the Lord Jesus has to say. Don't be so foolish as to forfeit your soul so you can gain the world. So much of my frustrations with my family is that they're only concerned with the things of this world. I'm too busy to read the Bible because I have to go to work. And really? I'm too busy to do that and to tend to my soul because you've got work? But right there is really what sin does to us. It blinds us. It makes us choose illogical, insane things. 
because we're blind to the realities of God. We're blind to the things of the Spirit. Well, may God now help every one of us to see clearly. May he help you to see clearly. If you are not right with him this morning, come to Christ. Turn your heart to him. Follow him now. Even now, this word is still the same challenge to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. Where is your soul with Christ? That's the question that you have to answer. That's the pressing, important matter. Now let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank you so much for speaking plainly to us. We thank you, Lord, that truth never has to put on makeup and try to pretend to be something it's not. Lord, we see here that you teach us very plainly, not just what the Lord Jesus has come to do, although we need to know that. We need to see that through his death and resurrection is our only hope to be made right with you. But you also spell out for us what it really means to trust and to receive and to call on him as our Lord. Oh God, would you be merciful to us and show us where we truly are. If we are walking rightly with you in faith and in obedience following Christ, well then Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us to do that more and more, more consistently, more deeply. And Lord, if there are some here who are not walking right with you, they may yet be confessing it in their lips, but their lives do not reflect it. Lord, have mercy on them by convicting them of the fact that they're going towards destruction and help them now to turn back to you. You who are full of mercy and grace, where forgiveness is freely given to everyone who comes to you. And Lord, we pray for those who have yet to do that. They've yet to come to Christ ever. Well, Lord, would you begin to prick their heart to think seriously on the fact that the things of this world can only last a lifetime, which is just a vapor, just a smoke. Lord, press in that question that the Lord Jesus gave to their hearts and help them to think carefully on that question. What profit is it to them to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul and yet lose fellowship and relationship with you for all eternity? Lord, help every one of us now to come to you through Christ and to be restored to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.